Kids love movies. If you're a young person who can't see or can't see well, Audio Description provides access to the visual images that sighted kids enjoy. The benefits of Audio Description in Education, Beatty Contest, sponsored by ACB's Audio Description Project and the Described and Captioned Media Program, wants those kids to experience Audio Description and then tell us about it. You have a chance to win prizes for yourself and your teacher. Just go to www.badycontest.org, B-A-D-I-E contest.org. And keep on enjoying audio description. Opinions expressed on ACB Radio are those of the respective program contributors and cannot be assumed to serve as endorsements of products or views of the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. Good afternoon, everyone. Thank you for joining us today out there in ACB Radio Land. I am so excited to have you all on this call. I'm Linda Yax, and I'm the facilitator of Let's Talk Finance. We asked for this to be streamed today because of our guest. And uh, I think that you'll find this call very, very interesting. Before I introduce our guest, let me do a little housekeeping. Um, I want to just tell you how this call is going to be, and then I'm going to have Ray give instructions to our Zoom people on how to raise hands, mute and unmute. And I'm asking everyone to please stay muted um, until you're called on to speak. So what's going to happen is I'm going to introduce our guest. He is going to share with you some information on investments, and then uh, he will ask for questions. So please don't interrupt until he asks for questions, and we will be taking Ray's hands, and Ray will be calling on you. Ray, would you please go over how to mute, unmute, and raise hands and all that fun stuff? Good afternoon. I'd be happy to do that. So um, if you would like to, at the time when uh, questions are called for, if you would like to ask a question, you may raise your hand on the computer, PC, by hitting Alt-Y. On the Mac, hit Option-Y. On the I, uh, the telephone hits star nine, and on the app, you hit the more button and then hit the raise hand button. Those are toggles. So if you hit it again, your hand will go down. So don't put your hand down, raise it. Uh, I'll call on you, and I'll lower your hand uh, once you've had a chance to ask your question. To mute and unmute, that's a toggle as well. On the PC, it's Alt-A. On the Mac, it's Command-Shift-A. On the telephone, it's star six. And on the app, there is a mute button in the lower left corner of your screen to mute and unmute. Linda? All right. And please stay muted. Um, I hear some background noise, and it may be somebody who can't help it. All right. Let me introduce you to our guest. We are so excited today. We have Lane Waters from American Council of the Blind. Lane Waters was born and raised in Northern California. He moved to Minnesota in 1982. Lane is the father of three and has three grandchildren. Lane holds a bachelor's degree in computer science with a minor in business. He spent 25 years in the for-profit world as CFO or general manager of several manufacturing and service companies. Lane joined ACB in 2006 with the intent of slowing down a bit, which he commented didn't really happen. After retiring from ACB in 2016, Lane has continued working with the American Council of the Blind part-time in an accounting and administrative um, capacity. Over the years, he has worked with numerous benefit and investment managers and has installed and overseen many companies, many company, pension, retirement, and health and life insurance plans. Would you please join with me in welcoming Lane Waters. Lane, welcome to our call. Thank you very much. And thank you all for having me. Um, we had one disclaimer, and I'm, I do need to give you another disclaimer. Um, I am not a professional uh, investment advisor. I'm not a professional money ma- manager. Um, as Linda said in my biography, I'm just a businessman who's been around a long time and has managed to accumulate uh, some knowledge along the way. And that's what I'm going to try and share t- with you tonight. 
uh, we're going to be talking about things in a general sense. Um, if you're on this call to, to try and get some hot stock tips, that's not where we're going to be going tonight. Uh, we're going to be talking about the basics uh, of investing, uh, investments 101, if you will. Um, but before I dig into that area, um, I had, as I put together my outline of what we we're going to talk about tonight, I, I discovered that I probably have more information than we can pack into an hour. So I want to take the piece that I had originally intended to be at the end of our discussion, and I want to move it to the front of the discussion. Um, and that's uh, a discussion about ABLE accounts, uh, which is an account that uh, is specifically designed for the disabled. And some of you on this call may know more about ABLE accounts than I do, but uh, I do want to bring it to your attention and try and share a little information about them uh, because it's something that you may be, uh, be interested in. So what are ABLE accounts? And that's, it's A-B-L-E, it's an acronym. Uh, it stands for Achieving a Better Life Experience. ABLE accounts were created in an amendment to the Americans with Disabilities Act uh, in 2014. They are accounts that work in a similar fashion to a health savings account uh, in that you are able to use the funds that are in those accounts for disability-related expenses. Uh, they could be medical expenses. They can be legal expenses. They can even be job training expenses and food expenses. Um, but let me tell you about how these accounts are organized and how they work. Um, they are st all state-sponsored plans, uh, which makes them a little different from your typical investment account. Um, 46 of our 50 states have ABLE accounts. Um, I can't tell you which four don't. Um, but the rules differ. And that's why we're going to be talking about this in general, because, because the rules differ from one state to another. Uh, but there are things that they have in common. Um, these accounts are are authorized by certain, uh, excuse me, states authorize certain financial institutions to hold these types of accounts. And you are able to, they're a bit unique in that in a typical 401k or an IRA, you can just, you can contribute a certain amount of money uh, each year. And, and in that regard, the ABLE account is like that, in that a disabled person can uh, can put in up to $12,700 per year um, into one of these accounts. What makes it unusual is that in addition to that $12,700, friends and family can contribute another $15,000, and that's not $15,000 each, it's $15,000 cumulative, into one of these accounts. And all the earnings from these accounts are tax-free, as long as you use the funds in for the qualified expenses. Um, let me jump back just a little bit in that to be eligible for one of these accounts, your disability much, must have occurred before the age of 26. And when I first read that, that struck me as being rather low. Um, but I found that there is presently some proposed legislation uh, to extend this limit to age 46. I can't tell you where that sits in the legislative process, but uh, if you are interested and quali qualifying is a question, you may want to contact uh, ACB's Director of Advocacy, uh, Clark Rockville, and he might be able to tell you where that sits, because I suspect it's something that he's following. So again, uh, disability must have occurred before the age of 26. You can put up uh, $12,700 of your own earned income into the account, plus 15,000 per year of funds from other sources, friends and family. The earnings from the account are tax-free. Each state has their own investment options. So I can't tell you specifically uh, what investment, investment options exist. Um, I suspect that some states have more options than others. And I suspect that uh, some states have better options than others. Uh, one question that comes up a lot is, uh, if you're on SSI, do these accounts affect that means calculation? Um, the first $100,000 of funds in these accounts is exempt from your SSI calculation. So uh, in general, and for most people, it will not affect it. If you go over 100000 
then it can affect, uh, in fact, uh, affect that SSI calculation. But you can see that it can take you a while to get up to that hundred thousand um, dollars. There are also limits, and again, this varies from state to state. Uh, the lowest that I'm aware of is two hundred thirty-five thousand dollars, and the highest that I'm aware of is over five hundred thousand um, dollars. It is. They are. It, it is a bit complex. There are a lot of rules involved. Um, and there are a couple of web, if you are interested, there's a couple of websites that I found that do a better job than others of, the, of talking about ABLE accounts and allow you to go in and, and click on your state and see the, the rules that are specific to your state. If you're interested in this, in these websites, uh, I'll tell you briefly what they are now, but if you want to, you can email me at lwaters.acb.org. And I will send you the links for those accounts. But one is with the National Disability Institute, and the other is a an account or a website called ablenrc.org. Um, and both of those are rather extensive uh, descriptions of how these programs work. Um, but this is the first account that's been created where the legislator legislature has recognized that that uh, disabled folks can have uh, unique expenses that uh, far exceed those expenses that a non-disabled person might have. And it's an effort to try and and create a vehicle from which disabled people can can uh, enjoy some tax benefits and a way to, to put funds away for those medical expenses uh, and other types of related expenses that are going to occur over the course of your lifetime. Um, do, are there any questions about ABLE accounts at this point? I'm not an expert on ABLE accounts, but I'll be happy to entertain any questions that you might have on those accounts. While we're waiting for hands to come up, I have one. Um, does this affect Medicaid benefits? Do you know? I do not know. My gut tells me that they do not. Uh, that would seem to run counter to the intent right. of, the, of the account. Uh, but in all my readings, I did not see any mention of of Medicaid. Okay, thank you. Deborah, you uh, can unmute and ask your question. Thank you. I'm just curious, I have not read too much about the ABLE accounts, but do they have to be specifically used for disability-related expenses? Yes, they do. And there are, it's a rather long list, however, of what qualifies as a disabled expense. Um, there are a number of expenses that you would not think would qualify. Uh, mm -hmm. An example of that, I was surprised to see that food fit into that uh, category. Um, legal expenses fit into that category. Job training fits into that category. Um, again, it's, it's uh, I'm not, I suspect that it, that is, you, you, that is, uh, applies to all states. I don't think that I, the states have individual uh, uh, qualifying uh, expenses. They're all probably all the same. So, uh, we could, I could give you these, these websites and you can look them and they'll probably give you more uh, information about that. But it is a rather long list of what qualifies. Thank you. Nancy Stevens, you may unmute and ask your question. Hi, Lane. Thank you. Um, I am curious. Nancy, you're cutting in um, and out a little bit. There you go. You're, um, kind of cut, you're cutting in and out a bit. At least my was, end. Does it have to be? Okay. Sorry, Lane, could you please repeat what you just said? My my internet is not cooperating. Um, what did you want me to repeat? Um, I didn't hear what you said because my inter you sounded like a robot. <laughs> uh, About qualifying expenses? On um, how, if you can put funds from your disability into the account, or does it have to be earned income? Ah, good question. It has to be earned income. Okay. That is specific. Okay. Great. Good Thank question. You. Okay. Uh, no more hands. All right. In that case, we're going to move in a little bit different direction now. And rather than talking about specific accounts, we're going to be talking about uh, the generalities of investing. And uh, we're going to start by talking about the, the, the who, what, when, where, and why of investing. Not necessarily in that order. Um, who's going to invest? That is generally, these, these are all questions that you want to ask yourself 
and have answers to before you actually go in and start getting serious about making investments. So who's going to do the investing? Usually this is an easy question for a person to answer. Typically, you're going to be investing for yourself uh, or your spouse and or your spouse. You may be investing for your children, but it could be for other purposes. Um, for example, uh, in our case at ACB, we are uh, we have some endowments that we are investing for. Um, if you are an individual, you may be uh, investing for a charity that you want to uh, in- eventually donate to. Um, so it, it, it is usually yourself or your extended family, but not necessarily. Why are you in- investing? What is the purpose of your investing? What are you trying to achieve? The most common answer to that question would be, I'm saving for retirement. But it could also be for your children's education. It could be for a major purchase, like the down payment on a house, for example. Uh, to fund some charitable endeavor, like a foundation. Um, it's important that that you know what you're looking for here and what you're trying to achieve because the the investment, the purpose of the investment will help determine how you're going to invest. Um, certain invest certain reasons for investing will carry with them um, different goals and different amounts of risk that you're willing to uh, to put into the account. And we'll talk more about risk in a little bit. This next question is when. What is your time horizon? Time horizon is a term that you'll hear from almost any investment advisor. And it's one of the most important questions that you need to answer. When do I foresee needing these funds? If you're 20 years old uh, and you're saving for retirement, you've got something close to a 45-year time horizon. That allows you, time is your, is your, is your friend when you're investing. Uh, it's generally your best friend. The more time you have, the the better you can invest, the more risk you can afford to take. Um, if you're working on a shorter time horizon, let's say you're 50 years old, now you've only got about 15 years uh, in a time horizon. That will, cr- put, uh, that will require a different set of assumptions when an investment manager is trying to create the best investment vehicle for you. So you, you need to know your time horizon that you're dealing with. Um, if I look at uh, our endowments at ACB, for example, those are very long horizons. Uh, but there are, and, and you would think that with that long horizon, we could afford to take more risk in the accounts. But that's not true because in an, in an endowment, we are trying to protect the principal. So all uh, my point in that is that all these questions have to be answered, and they all have a an effect on how you're going to invest your money. Um, they all relate to each other in one way or another. The next question is, where are you going to invest? Um, typically, uh, the most probably the most common is that you will invest through your employer's 401k account or 403b account. Um, you may also invest through an IRA, uh, through your bank, uh, through a brokerage account uh, with a wealth management firm. Or if you're one of those folks that likes to uh, buy and sell stocks all the time, you might have your own online trading account. So you're going to need to, uh, in addition to all the other questions I've talked about, you're going to have to decide about, about where you're going to invest. It might be obvious that 401k is probably the most obvious or the most used uh, method, but not all employers have 401ks and you may have to have uh, other options. Then the next question is, what are you going to invest in? And you have a lot of options there. You have stocks, bonds, mutual funds, index funds, exchange-traded funds. We'll get into some of those things a little bit later. So again, we've talked about who, what, when, where, and why. Those are very important questions. Then they all need to be answered in your thinking process as you're moving towards investing your money. And they all relate to each other in one way or another. But before you answer any of those questions, there's one question that will always have to be answered. And that is, and and that is, what is your risk tolerance? Any investment advisor that you sit down with should begin the discussion with risk tolerance. Everybody is different. There are some people that are so conservative that they want to keep all their money in cash and they hide it under the mattress. There are others on the other end of the spectrum that get a certain degree of excitement out of having an online brokerage account and buying and selling stocks continuously. 
and doing all the research that's involved with that. Most of us fit somewhere in the middle. Um, there are multiple ways of determining what your risk tolerance is. There are a number of tools to do that, uh, online tools. Uh, it, if you're interested in figuring it out for yourself, um, you can just Google risk tolerance, investing risk tolerance, and you'll get a number of options that come up. Uh, typically, when you're if you're joining a 401k program, there will be a tool there, a questionnaire that will that you will be asked to answer that will help determine where your philosophy fits on the risk tolerance scale. Um, if you're sitting down with an investment advisor, that should be one of the first things that they have you do. If they don't do that, if they don't talk to you about risk tolerance, I would get up and run away real fast and find one that does. Um, because that is in that is probably the number one, you know, in addition to the who, what, when, when, and why, it is probably the most important piece of the equation that you need to answer. Because that investment manager or you or however, whoever is going to help you determine how to invest money, the goal here is to generate the biggest return possible with the lowest amount of risk that makes you comfortable with what you're doing. Some people, uh, my son is an example. Uh, if he sees his investment lose money, he loses sleep. Um, on the other hand, you've got my daughter, one of my daughters, for example, they invest their money. They've got it invested for the long term. They don't even look at it except for about once a year. They don't worry about it. So that's why I say different people have different tolerances. And the goal here is to find a tolerance level that you are comfortable with uh, that that will not make you stay awake at night worrying about it if the stock market declines today. Um, so those are the the aspects that before you do anything else, you need to, to deal with. Um, risk tolerance, and then the who, what, when, where, and why. Um, all investments have some risk. And in going through this risk tolerance, it helps an investment manager or an investment advisor Determine how to package the types of investments that are out there in a way that'll meet your risk tolerance. Some investments work opposite from others. As an example, when stocks tend to rise, bonds tend to go down, vice versa. When stocks tend to go down, bonds tend to go up. So you've got this dichotomy that exists within investments that, that you can package and, and proportion investments, and we call it asset allocation. Uh, you keep your investments in certain segments of investments that help to manage that risk tolerance so that you're not exposed to wild swings in an investment or in your account because of the way it's invested. Um, that will still generate you some to minimize risk, but maximize return is the, is what we're really trying to do here. So the, the higher the risk that you're taking, the most, the, the, the higher the reward that you might achieve, but also the largest potential for big loss. So the higher the risk that you're taking, the higher the potential gain, but also the higher potential for a big loss. And so this whole thing about what we're talking about is trying to, to put together a package that maximizes your return and minimizes your, your potential for loss and meets your investment goals. So that's kind of an introduction. And before I move on with different types of, of, uh, of investments, why don't we open it up for questions, if, if there are any at this point? No hands right now. So Lane and Linda, if I can make just a quick, a quick comment, if, it's, if that's okay. Sure. <clears throat> My comment would be um, one of the things that you've heard probably talked about in the news over the last few years is they talk about an advisor who is a fiduciary. <clears throat> um, to put it simply, what that means, as I understand it, and, and that link can certainly correct me if I'm wrong. So what a fiduciary is, is they're an advisor that's independent. In fact, they're, they're not representing a certain uh, you know, type of, of group of investments, whether it be Van, they're not an advisor say, from Vanguard or from American Funds or whoever, some of the funds you've heard about. They, they are independent. They can, they, they're not tied. They don't get commissions from funds that they uh, recommend or you know, might suggest to you. So that they act, in the they act in the client's best interest is what uh, 
<clears throat> they generally is they do. And what so what that means for you is they're not going to steer you to things that they're going to benefit from. What they're going to do is they're going to recommend, uh, you know, what investments that they feel and, you know, you talking to them best, as Lane said, best meet your investment goals. Um, so, so I just, I wanted to share that because uh, I, I know that's a, a, a thing. And one of the things that was present, although I think it got, um, repealed by the Trump administration was something called the fiduciary rule. And that was uh, where they were going to change the way advisors could, uh, you know, work with clients and things like that. So I uh, just wanted to throw that, share what that is in case you hear that and we're a little confused. And we do have a hand. Uh, Rita, my buddy, Rita Howells from downstate. Uh, you can unmute. Hey there. <laughs> hey. Uh, my my question is along these same lines related to advisors. Um, I know that you know there are there are passively managed you know funds that you can invest yourself. Um, you know, such as you know uh, the standard and poor's you know buying general stocks and uh, ETFs and so forth. There is also there's I have some friends who. Um, go to advisors, okay? And they they they're not real savvy about their own money, so they choose to turn it over to an advisor. And my here's my question: is what is a reasonable rate that a, a typical fiduciary, <laughs> uh, you know, type advisor? should charge because this this guy that they're investing with my friends he's requiring a minimum of a hundred thousand dollars and three percent every year he takes off the top so that means like if somebody gives him a hundred thousand dollars right away they're 90 they're three thousand dollars in the hole because the advisor skimmed off the three thousand and now the investment has to earn better than the market to make up that three percent plus anything else to make a gain. And this guy's charging 3% every year. And I was like, I think it's highway robbery, but, <laughs> but I like, I, what's a reasonable rate if you choose to go to an advisor and again, you know, really investigate these people. Um, but, you know, for them to charge to manage your account, I know they have to make money. Do you know what I mean? But is, yes. is, you know, what's a reasonable rate for, you know, to pay an advisor? We are, we are actually going to talk about that in a little more detail later on. Um, but to answer your question, I find 3% to be unheard of, quite frankly. Uh, I've never heard of a rate that high. Um, the $100,000 is not unusual. Um, most of these many uh, these uh, professional invest uh, advisors do have minimums, and one hundred thousand dollars is not an unusual minimum. Um, but it won't take much shopping to find one that'll take less. Uh, as far as the rate is concerned, generally speaking, what I see more than anything is 0.75 to one percent. Um, I have never heard. Now I'm not an expert, um, and maybe I'm wrong, but I have never heard of three percent out there that that's what i thought also so i was like just <laughs> it's, i think it's Rita, insane Rita, it sounds like it might be highway robbery <laughs> yeah exactly and so you know it's like i just oh whatever okay so thank you that's very helpful you're welcome and we have no other hands up um the only other thing i i, I wanted to say too i talked about the fiduciary the only other thing keep in mind if you're when you're looking at where to invest your money um, sometimes investing with the bank that you deal with will actually also get you some good benefits. Uh, Chase, for example, the bank that we happen to be with, um, you can, you get, if you invest with them and have a lot of assets with them, you can become what's called a Chase private client. And that gives you uh, a lot of good benefits. Uh, for example, we purchased our second home in Springfield. And uh, to do that, I mean, we, we got waived a lot of fees that you normally have to uh, do when originating a mortgage. So um, that was uh, that was something. So that's something to keep in mind too. So when you're thinking about where to invest and all that, you know that that's something to think about as well. Um, so Ray is absolutely right about uh, his, in his description of fiduciary responsibility. The only thing I might want to add to that is that it is a legal responsibility that they carry. Um, 
to operate in your best interest. It's not a policy decision of the company that you're with. It's a legal uh, uh, issue. Yep. Okay. Um, now we're going to talk about different types of investments. And we're going to kind of start on the end that has the lowest risk. And we're going to kind of move forward through the, uh, through the risk uh, hierarchy, if you will. Um, when interest rates are high, you'll hear a lot about certificates of deposit. Uh, you'll hardly ever hear about it right now. Uh, with interest rates as low as they are, um, not very many people are interested in investing in a, in a certificate of deposit. But I remember when I came to uh, ACB, a lot of our money was sitting in certificates of deposit. Um, now, none of it is. <laughs> uh, so certificates of deposit are available through uh, almost any bank or any other financial institution. They're very low risk. They have a fixed return that you are given when you buy the CD. So when you buy it, you already know what the return will be. And it's generally uh, fixed as a, a reflection of, of what the current uh, interest rates are. Um, typically, right now, if you, <laughs> I don't think you'll find a CD that's paying more than 1% right now. Generally, they're down around 0.8 or something like that. They're available for almost any length of time. Um, you can invest, you can buy a CD from 30 days to years, and the returns will fluctuate depending on how long the CD is that, that you're investing in. Um, used to be quite popular, has not been popular for a number of years now because of low interest rates. But I remember back in the, I think it was the 80s, when interest rates were up around 14, 15%, uh, CDs were a pretty doggone good way to go. But, uh, and sometimes what goes around comes around. So, you never know what tomorrow might bring. So be aware that that is a, a pretty low risk investment. Um, not very practical right now, but who knows what will happen in the future. Probably the most popular way of investing is through a 401k. Uh, if you have that available to you, that would be my best advice. My first and best advice to you is to maximize your investment in your 401k. Different companies, the quality of a, of a of a 401k has something to do with the choices that your employer has made. Most employers will offer a match. In other words, if you invest X amount of money, uh, your employer will match that up to a certain level. Maybe it's a hundred dollars a month or maybe it's a thousand dollars. Who knows what it is. It varies, but from one company to the next, it's an employer's decision. Some employers don't have any match, but generally speaking, uh, there will be some kind of a match policy. And you want to be sure to invest enough to achieve that match because that match is free money. And I'm guessing that people on this uh, call already know some of this. Um, don't, uh, don't leave that money laying on the table. Do whatever you got to do to, uh, to get your hands on it and have it invested for you. If you can invest more, usually you invest as a percentage of your gross wages. Um, if you can invest more than the match, uh, because again, you need, especially if you have a long time horizon, um, one thing you might do. And, and one thing I know is the way my family tended to handle it when we were young, you know, each year we try to bump it up. Oh, we'd, you know, we'd, uh, we'd start with what it took to gain that match. And then each year we'd try to bump that percentage up a little bit uh, to put it away more. Now there are limitations, uh, each year. Uh, currently, the IRS guidelines is that you can put away 19,005 per year. If you're over 55, you get to put away another 6,500. Um, maximize your participation in your 401k. What do I invest in with my 401k? A good 401k plan is going to have tools that will help you make those decisions and may even have a person you can talk with to help you through these decisions. A company usually has the choice of the investment options that they want to present to their employees. Um, some do a better job of that than others. Almost any 401k program, as you enter it, is going to have a risk tolerance questionnaire for you to fill out to help you with that question that we talked about earlier. Where do I fit on the risk tolerance scale? They also are going to talk about time horizons. And from that questionnaire, it'll help you or help the, the investment advisor or even the online program that you're working with, the website, help point you in the direction of how you should be investing your money. Um, 
generally you have several options and you can split it up. You might have a bond option. You might have a stock option. You might have an index option. You might, they, they have now started to put together um, options that are based on your time horizon. For example, if you're 20 years old and you have a time horizon of 45 years, they might have an investment option that's, that's tailored for that kind of a time horizon. And so you don't even have to think about it. Um, it changes as you get older. It changes the asset allocation as you get older. It becomes more conservative as you get older. And we'll talk about that a little bit more also later. Um, the closer you get to the end of that time horizon, the more conservative you want to become, is in short what I'm saying. Because uh, you want to you need to protect that money. So uh, there's also tax implications. Uh, we'll talk about that a little later also, because it applies to more than just 401ks. Um, but there are tax there are options that, that are tax-free now, or tax-deferred now, I should say, uh, and you pay tax on the earnings, and then there are other options that work in the exact opposite way that are not, not tax-deferred now, and your earnings are not taxed. We'll talk about that a little bit more uh, later. Um, but 401ks are, in my mind, one of the best ways to go. Um, and hopefully you all have something like that available to you and you have the uh, the 401k, your employer has put resources in place that help you um, determine how to invest in a 401k. I know when I first got involved in 401ks when I was young, there these kind of tools didn't exist. And, you know, employers were moving away from pension plans into 401k plans. And you were kind of, as an employee, you were kind of left on your own to figure it out. Uh, that has changed a lot over the years, and there are now a number of uh, tools that most companies have that will help you through the process, uh, including uh, talking to a human being if you need to. 403B plans. Um, I am not a fan of 403Bs at all. Um, they, are, they were typically uh, plans that nonprofits used. Um, Back in the early 2000s and before, that was probably the only thing you'd find in a nonprofit. You wouldn't, I'm not even sure they could have 401ks back in those days. That has changed. And as soon as that changed, we at ACB dropped our 403B plan and went into a 401k plan. 403Bs are, tip, are actually annuity plans. They operate at no cost to the employer. Uh, but they're individual annuity plans, and so as you make as you as you make uh, employee or in payroll deductions, and usually there's no match, um, but there could be, I suppose. I'm not sure what the laws are. Um, but as you put money into the 403b plan, um, you're ba actually based buying an annuity. I'm not a fan of annuities. Um, some people may disagree with me, um, but I they basically um, offer a fixed return. Uh, and it's usually a, a lower return because the uh, the annuity company is the one that's taking the risk. And the fees involved in those plans are generally pretty high. Um, there's no cost to an employer for a 403B plan, which is why they were popular in the past. Uh, there is a cost to a 401k plan um, that uh, employers generally pay. So uh, that's why they were popular for nonprofits in the past. But I don't really know how other nonprofits are viewing it these days. But uh, I know that in the case of ACB, we do not view 403Bs favorably. Individual retirement plans or IRAs. Um, wait, Elaine, can I just interrupt for a second? Sure. I just want to alert you. We have about 15 minutes left. And I know that we talked about you might come back. I don't want our people to panic. So, but I did want to alert you on your time. Thank you. Uh, I do have a ways to go. Um, I am perfectly willing to come back. Um, so I'm just going to keep rocking and rolling here. And let's see, I'm probably not going to get through this whole discussion of investments right now. Um, let's do it this way. Are there any, uh, well, let me get through IRAs and then we can, I'll open it up for questions. Um, so IRAs are tip are similar to 401k plans, oftentimes used for people who don't have 401ks available to them. Uh, you can have um, a four, uh, you can have an IRA in addition to your 401k. Uh, individual retirement plans have lower limits than 401ks. In, in case of an IRA, you can put away six thousand a year. 
plus $1,000 if you're over 50. One question that comes up frequently is, can I have both a 401k and an IRA? And the answer to that question is, generally speaking, yes. There are, however, some rather complex income calculations that could uh, disallow uh, in putting money in both a 401k and a and a IRA. That would not apply to most people. I would guess that 95% of people could could invest in both. So unless you have some income sources that are rather unusual, um, this would not normally be a problem. If you uh, leave a, um, a company that where your where your 401k is, and you want you can you can roll it over. You can roll it over into another 401k, or you can roll it over into an IRA plan. Um, that's what I did when I left. Uh, ACB, for example. Um, I retired from ACB, so I don't have another 401k plan available to me, so I rolled my 401k over into an IRA. Um, All right. Are there any questions about 401ks, 403bs, or IRAs? I have a question about rolling the money over into an IRA. Um, So is there a limit on how much you can roll over? If you roll it straight over, First of all, do you have to pay tax on the money you take out of your 401k to roll it into that IRA? And is there a limit as to how much you can put in? No. Uh, Your balance in your 401k can be rolled over. Uh, There might be some time. I think there are some time restrictions. You have to do it within a certain. You can't can't take the money out of your 401k, have it sit in in your bank account for for some time, and then then put it into an IRA. And Linda, what I was going to say, we have no hands, by the way. What I was going to say is to whoever you're going to set up your IRA with as far as an advisor, have them do it because they know how to do it right and how all the checks and stuff have to be made out. Because if you don't do it right, yeah, you can get in some trouble. And we now have a hand. Mary me, Beth, you may. Uh, okay, go ahead, Blaine. There is no limit to the amount of money that you roll over, and there is no tax on the amount you roll over. The tax, depending on how you invest in it, if it's a Roth, you've already paid the tax. If it's a traditional tax deferred rollover, you're going to be paying the tax when you start pulling the money out of the 401k, which by law has to be done by age 72 and a half. So, does that answer your question? Yes, it does. Thank you. Okay. And Mary Beth, you may ask your question. You're unmuted. Okay. Um, hi, Lane. Um, actually, I just have a question about that whole procedure when the 72 and a half thing, when you have to start taking money out of, um, you know, mm-hmm. the 401k or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Um, I, okay. Does it have to just come out? Like come out, go into your bank account. Can it be come out and move to an IRA, or is there just is there any advantage to doing anything particular with it at the mandatory time of, you know, uh, when it has to come out? That is, that is a very good question, uh, and it's one that I have to do some research on myself as I'm getting closer to seventy two and a half. But it's the way you know, I it. You don't actually have to take the money out. You just have to pay a tax on. At least, I think it's twelve percent. Per you have to take twelve percent of the value of your firm, and you have to pay a tax on mm-hmm. pay your income taxes on that. Um, if you if you do have to use if you do have to remove the money from your four hundred one k, you could just move it over into another uh, investment account. But the the key to it is is it it's not so much the withdrawing of the money; it's that you have to start paying the tax at seventy two and a half. Right. Okay. So if you move it to another investment account, you still have to pay the t- the tax anyway. Am I right? Yep, you got to pay the tax anyway, unless it's a Roth. <laughs> okay. Unless it was originally a Roth investment, and we didn't no. really get into that. But and that I was going to address that for a little further on. But and uh, I was going to ask you if you could just go through the differences between the Roth and the regular IRAs. That would yeah. be awesome. Thank you. Okay, I'll do that now. Okay. Uh, you got you got you got one more question. Okay. Uh, veteran Eugene, you can unmute. Good evening. How you doing? Good. I got an account I took out when I worked with the sheriff's department. It was uh, through a Valic uh, variable retirement account, 
and uh, I'm at that age 72, uh, over 72. So I'm the one that's paying the uh, tax on it, <laughs> but I'm taking the minimum out. Now, my question goes is oh, I'm doing, I'm taking the minimum out and I'm paying the tax on that, but I get 3% interest per uh, quarter on the stocks that I got. So I'm basically making the money that I'm taking out. So it's basically my balance is staying the same. <laughs> So should I try to invest more in it or just leave it where it's at? Oh, wow. It's like it's just sitting there. I'm not using it, so I don't plan on using it. But I do, get to, I do take the minimum uh, out every year. Yeah. Uh, but I'm putting that same amount back in every year, too, off of the uh, interest that I'm getting. Yeah, and when things started going down in, what was it, 2008, I locked it in at 3%. So, um, I'm... I, one one side of me says if it ain't broke don't fix it um a lot but the answer to that question does have something to do with the risk tolerance that you you of your own your own risk tolerance because you can put that money into investments that can generate let's say an index fund let's say a standards an s&p index fund um you know should generate more than three percent uh if it was in an s&p fund in 2019 in 2020, you would have been way over 3%. You should be over 3% this year, but who knows what's going to happen in the future. You could have years where you're under 3%. Yeah, because I know some people back when the market went down a little bit, they lost some of theirs. Yep. Yeah. But see, I, 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 managed, I managed to maintain it. <laughs> that's the time horizon issue. Because you right. at, at 72, you know, 2009 came and everybody lost their shirts. But it all came back. It just took time. And at 72 and a half, you don't have the same kind of time that the person at 45 has. I got I got another 30, 31 years. <laughs> <laughs> My kids say I'm going to live as old as Jiminy Crick at 103. So. <laughs> you know, love I, love the optimism. Where, this is where I have to say, I'm, you know, everybody is different. Right. Um, if you're comfortable with what you've got and that you're earning that 3% and it's covering the tax, that's not a bad thing. Uh, it's not a bad thing when you're over 72 years old. Um, so it's certainly nothing wrong with what you're doing at all. We have six minutes right, left. I'd it. like you to be able to answer Mary Beth's question with between the differences before we go. Okay. Uh, when 401ks first started, everything was, all the investments were tax deferred which meant that the, the contributions you made to the plan were non-taxable. But the earnings that you accumulate over the course of time become taxable as you use the funds or withdraw the funds. So the theory was you're in a higher income tax bracket in your younger years. And when you get to the age of retirement, you'll be in a lower tax bracket. And so the taxes on that, those earnings will not be as high. Um, Assumptions don't always come to fruition. And as 401ks have matured uh, and people have reached those retirement ages, they find they wow. find that, that assumption was not necessarily correct and that a lot of retired people are not in lower income categories in their retirement years than they were in their young years. Plus, the rates of returns have been so high that it would, they would have been far better off to have paid the taxes when they were young than paying the taxes on the earnings from those investments when they're old. The answer to that was what's called a Roth 401k or a Roth IRA, R-O-T-H. It's named after the senator who put forth the legislation. His name was, his last name was Roth. I don't know what state he was from. It works in the exact opposite way of a tax deferred uh, investment. So if you're in a tax deferred plan now, you know that when you do your taxes, on your, your W-2 shows the amount of, the, of contributions you made to your 401k, and that is a reduction in your taxable income. With a Roth investment, you don't see that. You make your donation, or donation, you make your, uh, your contribution to your plan. You, let's, pay, let's say you pay, put 10 grand in, just for sake of discussion. Uh, you will pay the tax on that $10,000, just like you would on any, all the rest of your earnings. But now that money is out there, and it's growing year after year after year after year. And particularly if you're young, um, that money is going to grow in multiples 
over the course of time. When you reach retirement age and you withdraw that money to use it, you will not pay any taxes on it at all. If I were a young person, that is the way I would go. I can guarantee you uh, because paying that tax on all those earnings when you're 70 some odd years old is a pain in the behind and it gets in the way. <laughs> uh, so uh, that would be my advice. If you are, if you can, uh, if you can afford to pay the taxes on that contribution now, put it in a Roth investment and you don't have to worry about it when the time comes to use the money. Um, is that an adequate explanation of how it works? I think so. The, op- the other piece of that, though, is that maybe I have more money because I've made money on that investment and I can pay my taxes out of the money I've made. So that's to me, that's another consideration. It is, but the taxes will generally, unless you're doing this late in life, the taxes will generally be considerably higher than they uh-huh. would have been if you had done it at the, at, at the time you made the contribution. Oh, and I, I thoroughly agree with you. So, um, so I'm going to, we have two minutes, and uh, I don't want to run us over since we're streaming. Um, we can talk about this privately if you prefer, but uh, we do hold these calls every two weeks. And it would be a wonderful thing if you could come back in two weeks and finish this discussion. I would be happy to. Okay, then I'm going to go ahead and put you on the schedule for two weeks from now, if that's all right. I would like to hear if there are any special requests from people about what they would like to have information on. So so since we're almost out of time, maybe what we can do, Linda, is have people send uh, a note to to community at acb.org and just reference the Let's Talk Finance and talk about things that they'd like to hear Lane talk, have Lane talk about. They can do that. Lane already gave his email address on here. Yes, he did. That's right. So if he'd like to repeat that and have those requests come directly to him, that would be fine too. Yep. Lwaters at acb.org. So that way we that way we can kind of skip Cindy and we can she has enough to do. (laughs) Yes, she does. (laughs) I want to address your concerns, not so much just give you a canned presentation, you know. Right. And you've done a wonderful job in answering a lot of the some of the things that people did um, express need for on the call that we took a poll. I appreciate so much that you've come. I've been so excited to have you on this call. And uh, um, we are so excited to have you back in two weeks then. So we'll look forward to it. Thank you very much. I enjoyed it, too. Okay. Okay. Uh, Daryl, if you can end the stream.